Nick Ninton, and welcome to Now to Next, the podcast where I interview some of the top experts and professionals all across the globe to talk about what's happening now and what you can expect next. As we get into this, obviously, right now is a fascinating, interesting time to talk about you know, what's happening right now. And so let me tell you a little bit about my guest today. I got an awesome guest, a great friend, collaborator, uh, Mr. Ross Thornley. Ross is the CEO and co-founder of AQAI, Adaptability Assessments and Coaching. He's an entrepreneur and founder of six companies, from branding agency to innovation consultancy, product design manufacturer, and nanotechnology businesses. Uh, he's a Singularity University EP graduate, Abundance 360, and of course, strategic coach, Free Zone Frontier member. Ross is in my group of strategic coach, so we'll probably give you many a lesson from strategic coach. Uh, and then uh, he is purpose-driven, experimental, relentlessly curious and open-minded, an inquisitive and tenacious learner, driving inspiring visions for an abundant future, leveraging exponential technologies to unite, inspire, and accelerate the best of all humanity. Ross Thornley, welcome to the Facebook Live. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. We got a couple couple people live here. We got uh, Charlton. We've got Chris that have made comments. If you have questions or you want to make a comment, put it in the comments here on Facebook. Feel free to share this Facebook Live. Uh, we all want to build a bigger fire at this day and age. We need to collaborate. So share, bring people into the discussion. Uh, this is not supposed to be a lecture. It's supposed to be a discussion. Uh, today, we're going to talk about adaptability. So Ross, you and I have known each other for a few years now, and I've always been impressed with the work you're doing in adaptability. However, I think like most people, uh, up until a couple weeks ago, anyone watching this in the archive version, we are currently during the COVID-19 coronavirus lockdown. This is my quarantine lair. Ross and his, is in his. And as I've joked a few times already, uh, when I see other people's uh, Zoom hangouts, I now know who's a serial killer. Because some people have some strange stuff in their quarantine lairs. But adaptability right now is like, if you didn't adapt by now, we're even like, I don't know how many, I, I've been, at, I was on spring break when everything sort of hit. Uh, actually, I was in Iraq the, when it really hit. And the first three cases broke out in Iraq when I was filming a documentary there. So I left uh, pretty instantly, which was good news. We were scheduled to leave that day anyway. But since then, we had spring break with the kids, and then everything was thrown up in the air, even on spring break. I was thinking it would all end. It would be a bad nightmare that everyone would go, oh, just kidding, go back to life. Here we are now, a week of homeschooling in for my family. Uh, my second Monday of the week, starting the week, knowing that I really can't go anywhere. Uh, I can have lots of Zoom interactions. Uh, there's lots of social distancing going on, although I don't think it should be social distancing. As my friend Dr. Ned Hallowell said, it should be physical distancing, social connecting just through different, you know, uh, online tools like Zoom or this. So adaptability, Ross, we have so much to talk about. Th let's just start with this. Um, how are you doing right now, man? Well, it's interesting. Um, how am I doing? I, I'm very curious to know whether my lair looks like I'm a serial killer and the various <laughs> things around them. And when you said that, I looked over, and you might remember this from one of our A360s, but we were able to go and get <laughs> our little mini me's 3D printed uh, scans. I got to make this bigger. Hang on, I got to make that bigger. Show uh, that off, Ross. Show off your mini me. My mini me. And I'm not sure whether that makes me a serial killer or a narcissist or what, but he, he sits over uh, next to me looking looking across, making sure I'm uh, you know, keeping busy and keeping on track. That's but, awesome. We need to make it we need to make a checklist. There's a zoom. Have you seen the zoom bingo card that's floating around? 
Yeah, I said, like, can you hear me now? Um, hey, mute the kids in the background. And like, you play bingo and you can win. So we probably need to make like the serial killer checklist. And yeah. having your own action figure. It's probably up there. It's probably up there. So I, yeah. I think, you know, in terms of how am I doing, there are certainly things that I am adapting to uh, by choice, others force, um, and other things that have been, to be honest, just staying the same uh, for me. Some of the things I'd set up in my routines, whether that's getting up, doing yoga, or the dog walk. You know, there's certain things that have stayed the same for me, which is, uh, I think, that balance between what's consistent and what's maybe in experimentation mode. I, I totally get it. And I think, you know, I made a post about a week ago on, on Facebook about how the rhythm of life has changed. And so one of the things that throws us all off is not having that same same rhythm. And so I think it's really wise for the healthy things in your life to continue to do those things like workout. Yeah, I just finished running five miles this morning. You know, I'm spending lots of time with my family, which is great because I travel quite a bit, um, but trying to find that rhythm, whatever it is for you. And, and I uh, I have a, an accountability group on my phone, and uh, I think it started about eight years ago. My friends, uh, Jay Kinder and Mike Reese, uh, they are like two of the hardest driving guys I've ever met in my life. And so they started trying to make each other accountable to work out every day. And so they would send a video every day to each other. And they invited me in the group. So it's the three of us. I think it's been going eight years now. There's about 50 people in it. But the deal is that originally when they started, this is a great story, they would make a magic word of the day. And so that the the person who responded wouldn't just like change your shirt 37 times and be like, I just finished my workout. You actually had to say the keyword of the day or the workout didn't count. So uh, I, I posted my workout this morning, but I told everybody, I said, look, if you're not doing two a day workouts right now, what are you doing? Because we have so much time. It's such a great time to get healthy. And, uh, you know, I talked again to Dr. Ned Hallowell this weekend, an amazing psychiatrist, specialized in ADHD. He said genetics have a lot to do with the way, we, the way we're wired. And we, we all have itches we have to scratch. And there's adaptive ways to scratch them and maladaptive ways to scratch them. So I would just encourage everyone during this time, think of the adaptive ways to scratch those itches. One of them would be getting out, walking more with the whole family, riding bikes, working out, whatever it is, yoga. Uh, I need to do much more yoga because that stuff is hard. Yeah, it's interesting. I did a, a session last week um, on Zoom and it was adaptability for five to seven-year-olds. And it was inspired because my nephew uh, in Canada, obviously, is being homeschooled. And I thought, you know what, I can help my brother out and I'll put a, a little half an hour session together. And I posted it out onto Facebook to see if anyone else wanted to join. And we had a few different uh, friends bring along their, their kids. And what was interesting is I had broken up on a really base level a concept to how might you teach it to five to seven-year-olds. And it was really interesting when you take, oh, adaptability, and we might think, oh, I know what that means. It's being flexible or it's doing, you know, uh, X, Y, and Z. And I'd like to just describe how I positioned that and what happened because it was interesting to watch. And I talked about ability and abilities are skills. What skills do you have? Can you can you stand up? You know, they're all sat down and so they stood up and I said, okay, so um, what about can you stand up? And I had a little presentation and it was a little monkey and the next monkey only had one leg. And so, yeah. Can we stand on one leg? Great. Can you stand on one leg with one eye shut? Can you stand on one leg with two eyes shut? And so we were doing different things to see, can you still do that skill 
when certain stuff changes. And I then took through uh, an example of drawing. So I had a smiley face. Can you get, you know, it was with the parents. Can they draw the smiley face? Great. Can you copy it? Now swap hands. Can you draw that smiley face with the other hand? Was that easy? Was it difficult? What about um, if you close one eye? What about if you close both eyes? Can you still draw a smiley face? And then the final bit was, you know, can you uh, draw a smiley face with both eyes shut and you're not allowed to use your hands? And the, the, the kids were just so instant up for how they might do it. You know, one was putting it into their toes and they were drawing with their foot, another in their mouth with their eyes shut to try and do these things. And when we're children, we are so open to try new things and experiment when something changes. So the skill, the ability we have, then the adapt is how might we use that skill when something changes? So right now, we have certain skills that have been great. Exercising, for example. Lots of people like to exercise in circuits, in groups, in CrossFit, in all these things. But taking that same skill and then changing the environment, how do I do it when I haven't got a garden? And I've just got my, you know, uh, flat or I've got whatever it may be. How can I adapt that same skill to get different um, experiences, but are still beneficial? So, for, for example, I signed up to FIT, F-I-I-T, which is a, on, uh, you know, an app where it syncs up to the television and I can enter live um, workouts and it's linked to your heart rate monitor. I love competitions. So you get your scores and you're seeing up live. It's like a Peloton, but for yeah. a variety of motion. And, you know, it's finding these little things and then being open to them so that we can unlearn the way we thought things were done before and find a, re, you know, a new way to get a breakthrough that serves us now. I learned that term for you. We'll talk about it in a second. Unlearn ability, which is a really interesting term. But so, by the way, do you have a Peloton bike? I did. And I'll tell you what happened to it. So I got on there and they're, they're really smart about uh, all sorts of things in your brain that make you want to compete. And I'm, I'm a pretty competitive person. And so I wouldn't do live classes because I didn't want to start like one of my main pet peeves in life. We talk about our our mentor, dual mentor, Dan Sullivan, uh, both of ours. And he talks about, you know, one of the freedoms of entrepreneurs, you want freedom, you know, and the freedom of, of time. And so anything that forces me to be somewhere when I don't really think I need to be there, at that time, because you think I should, I don't like it. And so I would do the pre-recorded workouts that felt live, but then they would rank you in amongst the people who had done it live or those who are doing it now. I don't know the algorithm. It could all be fake for everything I know. And then as it's going, and then it will rank you based on your previous workouts. So I probably did 30 Peloton workouts. And by the, I didn't want to do any worse than the, the one before. So everywhere, so like by the time I got to the 30th one, I'm like, I am going to murder myself. I have got to get rid of this bike because I literally, and then it'd be like a month before I do it again, because I'm like, I'm not up for that today. Like, instead of like just being a normal adult, be like, you know what? You don't have to, you don't have to win every day. You don't have to murder yourself. Maybe it's a recovery ride. I was incapable of this. So I literally had to sell the Peloton bike, take my losses and just say, you know what? Uh, this is too much for me. I just can't do this. It's too much competition. With yourself. It's, uh, it's Kaizen, right? It's the incremental improvements. And there was an interesting, uh, I think it was Nike, um, one of, might have been New York a, a while ago, had got a running track, a night running track. And uh, there was LED 
um, outline of a runner just in front of you. Um, and it was your previous lap uh, and things that you were doing. You know, So a lot of the times, you know, our, our best competition is ourselves, but then it can also be our worst uh, as well when it's taken to extreme. Yeah, I, I never really quite found the healthy balance of that. And just like, and I, again, I've done it in many other things, but like, uh, like in a run, I'd be like, you know what? I know I'm not going to be have my personal best today, but the way it kept showing me, like, essentially, if you just worked a little harder right now. So I got to the point where they would take off the tension and you're supposed to like relax in the ride. I would keep it up so I could try to make sure I didn't get behind everybody. And, and I know other people were doing it because there's no way you can get that much like energy that they calculate out of the bike if you're not ramped up. So anyway, that's my Peloton story. So let's go back to adaptability. Um, sure. Obviously, everyone is adapting a lot right now. Uh, it's interesting as I go back, and again, you and I have I've seen it a little bit because you know I've been working on a couple of projects around this. Adaptability, as, as you taught me, has been humans' number one skill since the beginning of time. I mean, tell me about how we're built to adapt. You even mentioned kids already. I think kids are more adaptable. Feels like that, but maybe that's just learned traits. But tell me, tell me about that skill. Yeah, I think as a skill, what's really interesting is that it it prepare prepares us for change, and you know, we've often heard that our change is the consistent. It's always there. I think they're very different. And what got me really excited about this a few years ago to do some deep dive and research was the pace of change. That's what's different right now. And where certain things serve us can be great, but then when something else changes, an environmental factor changes, such as we are experiencing right now, Things that served us before no longer do. And I often tell the story of, you know, an analogy of some boats in a harbor. And those boats in a harbor, the anchor is a critical part to them staying safe, right? They're not going to bash into each other. You know where it's, you know, going to be when you uh, go out to it from your little rib. And all of that has taught the boat, you, everybody, that an anchor is a good thing. We put that. And in a storm, it's really, really great. What if it's the very thing now that might make your boat drown? Because if the rising tide was just a little bit, well, that can cope with it. But if it was exponential, really sudden, suddenly that anchor is what will keep it down. So you need to be able to break that and that ability to understand your environment and the consequences and context of things that helps us survive and thrive. So we see it in the future of work. We see it in the company context of those right now, everybody's having to figure out and adapt. How are they functioning? What services can they bring when the environment, not by their own choice, but by some other factor has said, you can no longer now provide value to the world in this way. You need to figure something else out. If you'd have been given maybe a year to do that, some would have done it, some wouldn't. We're talking about having to do this in days and weeks, and that's unprecedented. So I think this is really happening for us. It's going to help us raise our AQ uh, collectively, our adaptability quotient as an entire human race. And this, when we look back 20 years from now, this will be a pivotal moment that's enabled us to generate the kind of success and um, future um, Potentially, that without this, we wouldn't have been able to to achieve. But 
Yeah, and part of your entire sort of thesis of your work is that the rate of change based on technology and convergence, as our friend Peter Demandis talks about, these types of adapt adaptability, the necessity for adaptability will be faster and faster based on the speed at which things are changing. Uh, one of the things everyone's worried about is, you know, sort of robots taking over everything. And there's there's multiple opinions. And robots, I think, are going to take over a lot of things, which are great for robots. I think it's going to allow humans to be more human, which I love that idea. But talk a little bit about this whole idea. Like, so we all had to retool. Most businesses have had to retool to uh, virtual communication, those that weren't, very quickly. And that was, it seemed very quick, but aren't we just going to be increasing in speed of the necessity to be able to make those sorts of pivots? Yeah, I think it's interesting, you know, what drives a change? It can be because I see a better tomorrow and future and I go after that. So it might be that I have the foresight in a particular role or job to see that this might be risk-based, right? So this could be a high risk a particular job or task. So a cashier at McDonald's, right? They already cashier have the kiosk coming, right? A hundred percent. And I could decide, you know what? I see that coming. I have uh, chosen to be informed because I'm looking, you know, above my feet and I'm looking at the horizon, you know, and I then look at what do I reskill? So there's a difference between upskilling and reskilling. Upskilling, I might get really good at being a cashier. And how many people can I serve? How quickly can I do it? And I'm getting more and more skilled in that dimension. So think of that vertically. Then a reskill is moving in a horizontal direction to a new area, a new skill that now is going to be required. So in that context, it's not about creating the leap from going a cashier at McDonald's to being a data scientist. But how might I take some of those things of human interaction and be more human and bring that out in different ways? So that kind of um, piece can happen because you are you have foresight, or it's because you've now been told by a government to say, "Sorry, you can't open." So you have to rethink, right? And and a lot of people are now figuring out uh, how do I do these things remotely? How do I use digital? And digital is the first D of Peter's you know six Ds of uh, exponential growth with technology. So we're looking at how do we leverage digital to provide things in new ways. And so a lot of food companies are now, uh, you know, doing deliveries, for example, and so that you can order online. There'll be a, a capacity at which when we return, we then can decide, do I want to let go of how it was? Do I want to, you know, reignite how it used to be? Or do I want to take it forward? So it's a bit like, you know, back to your Peloton story. Do I go into my next exercise trying to beat the last one? So do I go back to work when we're allowed to and do everything then still virtually? So do we all sit in an open office, but everybody's just communicating via Zoom because I now have that skill? You know, right. or do we physically want to be together? So we still have to make these choices about um, when it's relevant and what is the goal I'm trying to achieve. And because I've learned something different, as a human, I can still decide which I want to take forward and which I don't. Yeah, and adaptability, the first thing I think of is change, right? And so change is scary for most everybody on some level. Uh, much like going to the gym for the first time is, your study has been on the adaptability quotient, so not to butcher it, you'll do better than me, but 
first we we focused on intelligence, the intelligence quotient IQ, then emotional EQ, and now there's this third this third paradigm of AQ. Um, when I first started talking to you about this, I was uh, very intrigued by the fact that this is something that you can you can get better at, you can improve. It's it's not something that oh here's your score, you're screwed. So tell me a little bit about AQ and adaptability and how how we look at that as because because change is scary. Yeah, I think change, you know, is is uh, not necessarily scary. It's the human storyline and narrative that we put to it. Um, and that's a choice. So I think what we wanted to do when we first, you know, dived into this, what is the term? Uh, what studies already exist? How do we build a framework of what adaptability is? So we, we built a model called ACE model. That's what we talk about. And it's an acronym of ACE. The A is for ability. So that is really how and to what degree do I adapt? So these are things like our grit, our mindset, our resilience, our mental flexibility, you know, how experimental are we? Those are abilities of that. what degree do I adapt? Then the C is our character. And we've seen loads of personality profiles, right, that talking about fixed things, uh, another good friend of ours, Ben Hardy, you know, his book, up and coming book, Personality Isn't Permanent, great, great book. Uh, so character, who adapts and why? So starting to look at, you know, motivation style, thinking style, things like hope. Uh, is it a characteristic that somebody is very hopeful and optimistic? In fact, that's a key part to adaptability, to have hope that you're going to change and be okay. And the other part that was, uh, I think, ignored in so many aspects of people analytics and understanding one another is our environment. So ACE, the E is environment. So when does someone adapt and to what degree? So, for example, in the we've been focusing initially in work, right, the future of work is what is the company support? What's the emotional health? What's the team support? So if I look at doing something new, is that encouraged or not encouraged? Do I have to follow a certain process or procedures for that? Is it highly stressed? You know, we're under a lot of stress at the moment, emotional stress, and our work environment's changed. We've gone from, you know, being in an office and, sit and trying to make sure we don't double book meeting rooms and all these things to now trying to figure out how do we do homeschooling with young kids and work. Uh, so our work environment's changed. So it might be that that's enough adaption in itself. Uh, to stimulate when someone needs to adapt. Ah, I need to figure out, ah, I need to do my calls at a different time. I'll do my Zoom interviews and podcast interviews at night when the kids are gone to bed because the environment is different. So in that model of those three things, it's, yes, improvable and you can change it, but it's also we can change it for others, which I think is really beautiful about it. And so that it's not just on the responsibility of myself. Ah, oh, my adaptability is all down to me. Part of it is. But then as leaders, our, the adaptability of our teams, we need to recognize what kind of impact we have on them. Are we creating an environment that allows adaptability or that encourages it or that makes it a non-negotiable? You know, at what levels and stages are we as leaders choosing to create that environment for thriving and success to ensure that there's no collapse and failure. Yeah, I mean, I, to be dead honest, I would probably, I've been knowing I should have a podcast and had many starts and stops over time 
uh, like many people, but I really didn't see how, and I continue to hear from our friends, Dan Sullivan, Dean Jackson, Joe Polish, how much it's really changed their business. Yet I was like, ah, maybe not for me, which you don't have to do what everyone else does. But this time right now of me really just wanting to connect and have great conversations with people sort of forced me to like, well, I'm not doing anything else. I might as well do that. And number two, um, I never would have, I never Facebook lived in my life. And so yeah. actually, I take that back. There's this one time in an X-Prize thing. I tried it with this piano player. It blew my mind. And uh, no one cared and I moved on. It was fine. But now, you know, this seems like, well, if I'm going to do a podcast anyway, I mean, as long as my guest isn't nervous about it, I've messed up plenty of things live. So I'm totally good with it. So let's yeah. just go live and just, you know, it doesn't, it's just a way, a way to serve people. I actually have a call uh, tomorrow afternoon. I just announced yesterday, uh, ask an astronaut. So I got two of my friends, uh, one of our mutual friends, Anusha Ansari and Jim Weatherby, who's piloted six space, uh, five space shuttle missions, been on six. And I'm like, well, they're sitting around too. And so why don't we just let kids ask some questions? But this whole idea of adaptability, I guess for me personally, number one, like everybody else, I have no idea what's going to happen there. I literally have no idea. I mean, if you want a hit of dopamine, try to try to assume, well, try to assume what's cut, what world's going to look like in six months. But the only rule is you're not allowed to think it's going to look anything like what it did right before this. And it's just like, and so my, I guess, I probably went through a lot of people have been talking right now about the stages of grief, which uh -huh. I don't even really know what they are. So I'm not qualified to talk about it because I haven't read that book, but I get it. Like you're allowed to grieve for what's gone because this is a new paradigm. Like it's okay to be upset. It's okay to, to grieve that. Like what it used to be like a month ago. However, what you, people will take different periods of time to, to grieve these things, which I certainly understand that. I'm not making fun of that. But at some point, you have to go, okay, what's next? And so that, I think the level, the speed at which you do that uh, is, I think, is crucial. And that's what a lot of this is all about. So for me, I tried to spin up these things pretty quickly, but probably got beaten by a week or two by a lot of other people. And I have another friend who blows my mind. He's got this huge law firm, and he's got 100 and something employees. And he very quickly switched on to now he's helping his clients get the relief funds that are available in the U.S., the SBA loans and the and the stimulus. And he just pivoted like on. And so I all of a sudden started looking at it took a lot to get to this, by the way. It was off right after a call with Dan Sullivan that we had one of the Zoom calls with Dan. It was like, oh, wait a minute. I can do I can do many things. But the way I was looking, the lenses were I can try to figure out what, um, how to get my business back to where it was. I can try to figure out what do I have to do? What can I find that makes that work again? Or I can just go, if that works again, okay, great. It'll work again. But let me, let me instead, we'll quote Dan Sullivan again, you know, the eyes only, only see and the brain and the ears only hear what the brain is looking for. So what if I were instead to focus my brain on opportunity? So instead of being confined by the four walls of the business I had before, because I had to be, um, or I felt like I had to be, that was may maybe a false construct, but we all build these prisons for ourselves, by the way, I'm not saying my business to the prison. I love it. But we, we build these four walls and we think this is the way things have to be done because it's the way we've always done them. And over time we've sort of built, um, you know, from the depression, I would guess in the last huge collapse. So now we, we built and we plateaued and we built and we plateaued and we built and plateaued sort of like if you had 
a house that you already owned, but you wanted to add a gym to it, you would just add a gym. And then maybe a few years later, you sell it, someone else moves in, but they, they like the gym, but they're turning it into a home theater. They really want a room for their monkeys. I don't know what it is, but they just, you keep sort of like stacking on these things. And eventually you end up with Frankenhouse. You end up with this house that, that if you were to start from scratch, you would have never built it this way. And I feel like now is sort of a great equalizer. If you look at it, what, what would it look like if I started from scratch? What would I really do? How many six-figure earners that were in a job they absolutely hated? Now that we all know you're going to get some forbearance of your mortgages, your car payments, you're like, if, if finances, if that pressure was taken away for a little while, man, what might you do? Like that to me, that to me is the exciting thing. So I finally, it took me like a week to, uh, to get out of the mindset of like, how do I, what do I need to do to make the old business work again? Which I'm, I, it's still on my mind. I mean, I can't, I don't want to just throw that out the window, but I think a really exciting thing for everybody who's listening, like one of the lenses you can use right now is just look for opportunity that suits you. Because even some of the things I was doing before, I just sort of got into doing them because it was like part of my trajectory of, okay, I'll add this on, add this on, add this on, add this on. I, and I ended up with Frank and career like most people, right? Because, yeah. but it's not always things I would have chosen to do or things I even like to do. It's just things I, I was expected to do and things I needed to do. So one of the exciting things for me and the, the sort of the challenge and the hopefully inspiration for all of you out there listening is look at things a little bit differently. Spend at least some of your time looking at opportunity. And man, if, if I were starting all over again and money wasn't an option, again, a lot of times when I talk to kids at universities, I'm like, here's the thing. You all are asking me, what should I do when I graduate? It's not when you graduate. There's only a few things you can only do once you have that degree. Or I mean, like if you're a doctor, please don't do the surgery before you get your fellowship and you're board certified and all that. As a lawyer, you can't practice law until you're, you pass the bar exam or, or whatever it is where you live. But you can still work with a lawyer. There's so many things you could do. I always tell them, you are in the least financial pressure of your life. Because even if your parents, a lot of your parents are footing the bill. Um, if they're not, you probably have student loans or you have scholarships. Trust me, this is very likely the least amount of money you're ever going to need to survive in your life. So what you should be doing right now is experimenting. You should be out in the workforce. You should be trying to see, will someone buy this if I even were to offer it? And you can just experiment and reiterate and reiterate and reiterate, and, and you can find your way. If you just wait the four years or six years or eight years or however long it takes to get through school before you start, you're just going to be four, five, six, seven, eight years behind. So that's my diatribe, I guess, it's, for a moment there on adaptability. You know, it's what it's what I love about having conversations like this is, you know, you allow people to just think about their thinking. You know, that's one of the great things Dan does. And I think one of the reflections on a couple of bits that you said there um, was around experimentation and having this opportunity of, a, one could be a clean slate, you know, of what do I want to take forward? How do I want to be and who do I want to be? And one of the challenges is that we need both a burning platform and some space and some resources. And we started off this conversation about this is a nice opportunity and a good opportunity to focus on our health. Now, health is, you know, mental as well as physical. So one of the things I want to encourage perhaps some of the listeners who might be going from a, my entire world has just turned upside down right. to even consider experimenting and things 
I mean, a grief zone of, you know, just getting to the point of, am I even accepting it this yet? <laughs> you know, um, the, yes. is it real? Um, and then building up the courage to go and do something else. So there's a couple more aspects here. One, if we look at others, like you described, are oh, this law firm and they're doing this and someone else is doing this, they've pivoted. I would encourage people to look at that as inspiration, not as a judgment against what you have or haven't done. For sure. Um, so whether that inspires you to act quicker, inspires you that you haven't acted quick enough, or inspires you to do something different because it was possible that you saw someone else do it, use it through a positive frame because that's a choice. The, the second part is that each day, if you can make a little space for some gratitude, and I'm confident that no matter how far and how deep and how dark it looks, you will, if you look, like Dan said, you know, your eyes only see and your uh, brain only hears what you're, uh, you're only what you're looking for, yeah. Thank you. Is that if you look for gratitude, you will be able to find it. Right. And if you can look and find that little bit of gratitude, that will give you a little increment of energy to look for hope, to see how you might adapt and how you might change. And the, the final kind of aspect to, you know, reflecting on what you were saying there is this, all of a sudden, we've gone from creating something that was a fostered acceptability, who we were to ourselves, how we, you know, have Frankensteined our careers or lives or various things by this incremental add-on that we have a unique opportunity to pause, take a breath, and say, what next? So that your you know, podcast, Now to Next, now is a sense of pause. If that pause is just 10 minutes, use it intentionally, quieten out to be able to think about what things now, it used to be an anchor and it was good for me, but now it's not. You know, how do I convert some of these skills to becoming a springboard? What do I need to just shift to deploy differently? And what new skills do I need to find that's going to serve me in the future? And those are the sorts of conversations I'll I would encourage you to have with others is shift from what's going on in the news as a per se to going, um, this is bad. Look for the hope, you know, the clap for the... Uh, Healthcare workers was a great sense of gratitude, how uplifting that was to bring the community together, and how can we support each other in a way that's very practical, and it starts with just one thing. Uh, like I said, you know, me doing a, call, a, a small little um, piece for my nephew has then sparked a load of other things. The conversation before that, interestingly, was with uh, 160 of the um organizational psychology uh, graduates, I think they were in their, maybe their final year in a business school in Spain, one of the top business schools in Spain. And the professor's a good friend of mine, and he, um, he said, all my students are panicking. Every vision they had for the world after graduation has shifted. You know, they were due to go to this internship, this was happening, all of this is happening. And we think the younger generation, they, you know, are adaptable, you know, never had it as good because they've got very little, um, you know, built up of mortgages, of families, of all of these things. I'd love to be in that situation. And yet for them, the context is the world has still collapsed. So for everyone, it is still their own story. 
and it is an opportunity to pause and write a new one. Um, so that's, I think, treat it as a gift. I love that. And, and it's, it's how you unwrap your own gifts within this time that will help you learn uh, what's next. Or again, Dan Sullivan, we'll, we'll quote him a lot. He deserves it. He talks about unique ability and it's a great time to think about what are the things that do make you excited every day when you wake up? Because right now you, you can't do what you used to do when you woke up most likely career wise. So what makes you excited and do a little bit of that, of that. I mean, these podcasts and live streams I'm doing is just, I just started thinking, well, I don't know what to do. So what can I do? How can I serve people? And so it might be, you know, I, I hosted on the weekend with my brother, who's a, a top addiction psychiatrist, Ned Hallowell, who wrote uh, uh, Delivered from Distraction, an amazing uh, psychiatrist and ADHD, and Joe Polish, you know, because Joe mentioned to me, he's like, addicts are really struggling right now because they can't really go to 12-step groups. There's a lot of, it's like a pressure cooker for anxiety and all the things that drive people to their addictions to scratch those itches in maladaptive ways. So I'm like, well, I know all these guys and they're sitting around on Zoom too. So let me get them together. Or we've got the astronauts tomorrow. I got you. I got my friend Ron Carruthers. And I would encourage people to think about, you don't have to have a plan. Like you just don't have to have a full plan. Like I just said, hey, let's do let's do this. And I figured out in a couple of days, I never live streamed. I found this Live software. I bought a microphone on Amazon just because I wanted the microphone. Uh, you know, I could have done it on my AirPods, but this does sound much better. But like, yeah, how can you start creating some momentum again? I think it's a big deal, a big concept from my other friend, Alex Scharf, and just momentum. As entrepreneurs, we thrive in momentum and in, in yeah. doing something moving forward. And it's also just turning up. You know, half the challenge of yoga, all you've got to commit to is rolling out the mat. Yeah. Right. And so it's the same in these types of things. Um, it, it, you know, I got given a great, uh, in fact, we, we shared very closely a, a certain big date. Uh, and uh, somebody bought me this, um, 40 things to do when you're 40. Okay. Right? Yep. And it, one of the things we lose a lot as we go through life is firsts. What have you done today for the first time? Hmm. What are you going to do tomorrow for the first time? As a child, we're doing that 10 times a day. We're doing something for the first time. So everything seems exciting. It seems experimental. And we get to a point where when we're in routine, we're in doing things that we're highly capable, you know, that we're maybe even excellent at. Maybe even it's our unique ability if we've got to that level, if we've got any other fellow coach, strategic coach people. But Life is also this balance between what do we know that is the same and what is going to be new, you know, that novelty. It's why we watch a film over and over again, because we like the fact that there are some things that we've, you know, we expect, we've seen, and then we'll see that little twist that we didn't right. see before uh, of those. So another aspect in times like this is rather than getting um, a whole body into this knot that it's different. It's not how it was yesterday, and it's stressful. And when I go to the food supermarket, I did a shop for my uh, my parents because my dad's at high risk, so he's not even allowed out of the house for 12 weeks. So we went and did a food shop, and there's a queue, you know, and everybody's six feet from each other all the way around uh, of these things. And I could see that as, you know, there's some people who are recoiling into all of this sense of stress and bits, and for others, and I go, this is a first. What can I take from here? Now I'm going to be in this queue for 40 minutes. What am I now going to observe? What am I going to think about? So 
each of these opportunities that are now being forced upon us, we can still choose to take it as, oh, this is a first. What am I going to learn from this? Do I want to repeat it again? Do I not? So I think that's an, another interesting aspect to, to look at these things as seek firsts and get energy and joy from those and you'll build the muscle. So one of the big aspects that I wanted to do three years ago when we started about adaptability, for me, this was the superpower for humanity. So it gives us this muscle to head firsts with confidence, no matter what that first is. I have the ability to deal with it and thrive in that. So whether it's COVID-19 and a pandemic now, it's a job loss in the future, or it's something else, if you've got high AQ and you've worked on this ability to have mental flexibility, have resilience, so I can bounce back from something that didn't go quite right, that is such a beautiful thing that we can give humanity right now, is that no matter what first you have, you're going to come out the other end in a positive way. Yeah, so much in this perspective, and, and I don't know, uh, shifting people's perspective obviously takes time. There's mm-hmm. there's uh, biochemistry involved. There's lots of other things. One thing, you know, again, we talked about is gratitude. And, you know, when I think about it, I have there's plenty I could complain about, about not being able to finish this film I'm working on or go on this trip, do this thing. But, man, I'm when I stop and think about it, I'm in a house with air conditioner, with lights, with my children all healthy, you know, and my, my wife, I, I've seen her now more days in a row than I am like 10 years probably. Thing, right? yeah. yeah. It's amazing. And so just like, what, what can we be grateful for? Because what we, we have to be creative and adaptable right now. And you cannot be creative when you're in a sense of, in a state of scarcity. So in order to get to a state of abundance, you have to get to a state of gratitude. So you have to stop Sometimes you just have to stop and pause and go, okay, what am I thankful for? What's really cool right now? I mean, I I know I've gotten into funk myself in the past, and we've all gotten it with, I mean, when we've lost a loved one, when we lose a deal or someone stops paying us for something. I mean, we get in these like funks like, man. And and in order to get out of that, you have to find uh, the quickest way to shift that is to stop and say, hey, what am I grateful for? What is going well? What are all the things that could be going wrong right now? And they're not. So, okay. And that's just like a very quick switch. And as you do that and you get into that, you can start having conversations like, okay, well, we're, and being creative and getting excited about what's next. Another thing uh, Dr. Ned Hallowell said on the call this weekend, I loved, he said, you know, when you worry by yourself, it's just worry. When you worry with someone else, you start having a discussion and all of a sudden you're problem solving. It's not just worry, it's problem solving. When you take the time, to start discussing with someone else. So if you're having a hard time right now, finding that gratitude, finding that creativity, um, this is literally the reason I'm having these conversations because I struggle with it too. But whenever I talk with someone, you know, their their energy and my energy allows me, this is the way I deal with it, to, to sort of up-level my energy. So I'm like, okay, this is, well, first of all, the, one of the first calls I made when this all started going south, I called a friend of mine who runs a $2 billion company. And I said, how's it going? I expect him to be like, I don't expect him to say, but he said, he said something. I was like, he said, how are you doing? I'm like, yeah, you're doing good. Burning a lot of cash right now. He goes, me too. Just more than you. I'm like, okay, <laughs> well, on the same boat together. We're all it's just, relative. It's just yeah. all relative. And so it's again, okay to grieve what is different right now. But I really would encourage you like this to me is one of the most exciting times I think ever of like family 
reigniting passion for being together. I mean, we'd spend a lot of time to make sure our family is together. But normally we're just my daughter has dance three or four nights a week. My boys have either soccer practice or track and field or cross country or tennis. And so my wife and I and the kids, we are we're doing the best to be a family. But running here, running there, we often we make it a point to sit down and have family dinner because I learned that as a kid. My family always did it. It's important. It's really important for the development of kids and conversation. But some we just can't in a lot of cases because I got to get one to practice. She's got to do one. And I'm out of town a lot of times. So my parents help out a ton. But like right now, we we can have dinner like every night together and it's not a problem. You could choose not to do that. You could find things to get busy with. Don't get me wrong. You could find you go watch Tiger King for the fourth time. But, you know, there are many things you could get busy with. But it, take the opportunity to like make sure and reset some some small boundaries. I think you'll find there's a ton of just uh, re-energizing juices by doing that. And that that reset, we've talked about it, you know, as being a pause, you know, we're figuring out things in a different way. When we come out the other side, whether that's in three months, six months, a year, how about we look at it this way? If we then have the rest of our lives having had this reset, how do we want to live the rest of our lives? So rather than just we find ourselves at the end, looking back and going, ah, oh, I wish I'd have had more dinners as a family. I wish I'd have spent more time with my wife. You know, all of these various things. We will teach the world that work doesn't have to happen in a central location as a result of this, that we can get things done remotely. We then have a choice. Do we want to work remotely or do we want to work in central locations? And it will probably be a combination of these. You know, the future of work for me will be an environment where it will be career portfolios. You know, this is showing us how to do gig work at scale, um, you know, and how to remote at scale. That doesn't mean to say afterwards we go back and forget it or we go back and think it's all going to be like that. We can't see it. Yes. You know, it was a beautiful line that you shared on our first free zone, you know, at the end of that first session was you can't unsee that now, that experience that we've just had about shifting from competition to collaboration and seeing the world as a collaboration and all of what historically was competition and market share as your best opportunity for collaborations. That now when we go back and we have those new conversations as employers, as leaders or as employees, how do we want to reset the terms? What's the new social contract of employment? What does that look like that is not only uh, effective and sustainable, but one that just brings more joy? You know, it, it, it I think is going to give us years and years of a better life rather than, you know, for the sacrifice of maybe three to six months of pressure and difficulty. And I think that's a lovely way to. Um, maybe frame what we were going through is that this is allowing us to have a lifetime that we design um, and the hardship to design it needs some things to break. Uh, And I just pray that the breaking is temporary and not permanent for people. Um, And that's where if you have strength and you have energy and you're recognizing some that are maybe at that edge that you can go and lend as you I've not heard it before, but that uh, physical distancing, not social distancing, social connecting, that for me was a definite highlight takeaway uh, for sure. Yeah, I think it's, man, it's so important to be 
to be in community. Uh, Vern Harnish, another great sort of business leader, said recently, uh, I, I think he said in the beginning of last week, you know, what as business leaders, because that's who he mostly talked to, what we don't need to do is go read another white paper, read another blog, watch another video, write more of your book. Is like all you need to do right now is talk, 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 and talk some more. Reach out and talk to other business leaders that you value. And 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 you'll and I think it's sort of to Dr. Hallowell's point, instead of being in a woe is me state of panic or worry, you all of a sudden start problem solving and start seeing where are the opportunities, what do they look like? And as you said, right now, this is a point where I'm, most of us would, I mean, how many times have I said, man, if I could just have like a month where money didn't matter, right? I mean, like where I could just not have those pressures, like what would I do? How would I feel? I mean, I, I've very interestingly found recently, like the lack of income pressure, because I know it's like no one's, practically no one's making money right now. So just in a very human way, the fact that I, let's say, wasn't going to make my numbers for the month, whereas before it would keep me up at night. Sometimes I was sort of like, well, what am I going to do about it? Well, no, everyone else is in the same boat. So what if I didn't worry about it? I was like, oh, man, sort of nice to not, not be worried about that for the first time in 15 years or whatever it is. So look for those things that like, and I think most of us either as children saying what we wanted to be or coming out of college or like we had a design for our life that got Frankenstein. It did. And and that's a good thing. I, I don't, I don't. I'm not upset about any of the experiences. Actually, I've had way richer experiences in many ways than I ever would have guessed I would have. But knowing what I know now from those experiences, there are definitely things I would do differently moving forward in the future. So how about I intentionally take hold of those and, and look at those things so, so I can take advantage of this pause? Because I can tell you what's going to happen when this is over. And I don't know what's happened to the economy or the way, but I, I know there's going to be a time where I'm on a flight in some crazy place or I'm not at home and I'm going, man, I really miss the kids running in, in the background of my, of my podcast. I really miss having lunch with them every day. I really miss being able to sleep until eight o'clock if I want to, because I don't have to wake up at six 30 to make sure they get to school by, you know, leave the house by seven 15 to make sure they get like, there are definitely things we're all going to miss. And that's an interesting perspective too. Like what, it, what are you creating right now that you're going to miss that you probably haven't even paid attention to because you're still so shaken up by the changes, right? It's it's the pendulum shift. You know, as we go from extremes, uh, we look at, oh, I'd rather be over there. We go over there, we go, oh, I'd rather be back there. And uh, you, you uh, gave a lovely analogy. I forget when it was, probably late evening in uh, the, the Sheraton Hotel uh, whilst you're half watching an um, American football game or something. But it was uh, a, a conversation where you talked about hammock and the two trees, yep. and that, you know, it needs tension, otherwise it doesn't work. So in our life, we do need tension. Uh, too much, and it will break something. Too much tension, it'll pull the tree over, not enough tension, and you've, you know, got your ass on the sand. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, this, this kind of balance that there was good tension and bad tension in the world we had before. Certain processes that were good tension, they were great. But now all of a sudden, because the world's changed, that process is suddenly sat on the sand. It's got its ass on the sand because it's, you know, not the right tension and vice versa. So we can use this pause where, yes, having those conversations with clients, with our customers, with our peers, with our audience, maybe it will give birth to some incredible collaborations that your competitor, now you figure out, actually, 
you weren't uh, fighting. You were so aligned. And that now maybe you could do new things and go much further together. So it gives you that opportunity and dialogue for a conversation you might never have had. I know one thing that we're going to be doing in our next 90, because we follow EOS, you know, uh, Gino Whitman's EOS, and we've just, uh, the 1st of April is our next period of our uh, 90, our VTO 90. And one thing that we've set to do is 10 jobs to be done. I'm not sure if you're familiar with jobs to be done um, framework mm. and methodology. It's an incredible way to gain insight of what is the job to be done that your client is facing that will then drive um, positioning, features, marketing, all these sorts of things. In fact, um, I don't know whether you have it in America, but the uh, Snickers bar, uh, I don't know whether you have the TV ads where um, they'd be in a changing locker room and one of them is you know, uh, a sports team and the, the guys has become a woman and he's ranting off and then they give him a Snickers and say, oh, you're not yourself when you're hungry and eats the Snickers and comes back to himself. Do you have that same advert? I, I, we probably do. I don't know. I don't, I don't think I've seen it. But So yeah. there's all of these various examples and it came about as a result of doing the jobs to be done. Um, where they thought all of the competition was all the other confectionery chocolate bars and they were trying to differentiate and compete against chocolate bars. And they realized that people were buying them as a meal replacement. So it was more of a hunger piece. So that entire just twist in the positioning of how they marketed it as a you know fun meal replacement in sports of a Snickers bar changed it from there to a confectionery uh, conversation. Wow. And that you know, came about by having a conversation with somebody of what is the job to be done? You think you're providing a solution or a service in a particular way to solve a problem that you think, but the reality can be quite different. So now is an opportunity to not just have um, all of them be aimless. You know, you might come across a serendipity and have a, you know, a happy accident conversation that gives you insight and yes, have a few of those but do a few that you absolutely have intentionality about the purpose of that call and conversation and jobs to be done is a great framework of that similar. Um, one that, uh, we do in coaches, DOS, you know, dangers, opportunities and strengths and having DOS conversations and the R factor question. So all of these things, how do we balance, um, you know, just a, a meandering conversation that might unearth a, uh, you know, a nice piece of gold, or no, very intentional. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm looking for, and have those conversations as well. That's great. Yeah. Uh, all great. That's sort of the anti-hangry bar now. So that I mean, that's sort of how they yeah. reposition, which is which is yeah. great. I actually, have been with several people. Dave Asprey and Joe Polish and I were a day from Bulletproof. People might know his Bulletproof coffee. He and and Joe were saying like we were at a convenience store in Alaska on a fishing trip, or, and they said, hey, if if you could only have one of these things to eat what would it be? And they're both ultra healthy. And they both went for the Snickers, like right. Like, Oh, I'd take a Snickers over any of these things. And I was like, Snickers, really? Even over some of the protein bars and other things are like, Oh, those things are just sugar, empty calories. These things, you know, this, so it was my first introduction to people thinking of, of Snickers as anything other than just candy. Right. Yeah. Uh, Tony, Tony had a great comment about working with a company and they've seen during this time, how many of the processes that they have are not actually necessary. So they're rewriting the rule book. Uh, which is brilliant. I mean, this is a great time to look at why why were we doing that? Did, did it serve any purpose or not? And so I think that's a great comment. Thank you. Keep the comments coming. Uh, Ross, as we wrap up here, 
Um, uh, one of the questions I like to ask lots of people who I interview, what, what are you reading and watching right now that you think other people would get value from? So another good friend of ours, Cameron Harold, um, I've been re-engaged to following him a little bit more. And he's always been quite controversial in his opinion. And when you have big um, events, big global events, you know, who do you listen to? What is the perspective and, and what do you take? So I'm um, being inspired by a lot of his looking for the positive. What strategies have you got right now for growth? Rather than, ah, oh, it's cost-cutting, everything's 30% down, all of these things. You plot it on a bell curve, there'll be some that are out of business, some that are 50% down, some that are 30% down, but then there'll be some that are 15% down, some that are only 5% down, and maybe some that are even growing. And so where are you and what strategies have you got in place? So that was inspired by uh, Cameron and I'm uh, rereading his uh, Double Double uh, book as well. So that, that's uh, interesting, particularly chapter 11, which is all about how do you thrive in a downturn? Because he went through the 87, 2001, 2009, 89. And so how do you uh, gain leverage in a downturn? So that's quite interesting. Um, what else? I'm watching season three of Ozark. I'm not looking uh, that. Are you? Yeah. So that's uh, uh, really interesting, um, which is good fun. You know, you need some of the uh, brain gum, chewing gum sometimes, not always, you know, learning and uh, reading books um, for, for business. So, yeah, those are just a couple of things that come to mind. Love it. Uh, a book I just started, uh, a friend of mine is co-author of called The Bezos Letters. You should check it out, too. He breaks down all of Jeff Bezos's shareholder letters for 20 years. And comes out with 14 principles, essentially, that are underlying all of Amazon's growth and repivoting everything else. Brilliant book. So check that out, too. Interesting. And, of course, it would be an, a remiss of me not to uh, talk about Moonshot Innovation and my up-and-coming uh, Decoding AQ, which is all about um, our superpower and adaptability. So Love those it. Are, uh, are two books that you should read, too. Give, yeah, give us the 30 seconds on Moonshot Innovation. Moonshot Innovation. So this um, was actually a couple of years in the making, as for many people in their first book, right? Uh, and it's basically a mashup between exponential technologies and the Sustainable Development Goals, the UN. So if you think of those as the to-do list for the planet, the big problems, the big challenges, and you think of these exponential technologies that are inert until we give them a purpose. So it's talking about how do we do that? How do we positively impact a billion people? So looking at what exponential technologies can do, inspiring people and some practical examples of how they can begin to um, understand exponentials, exponential leadership, uh, how we need to adapt. You know, it's a setup for adaptability as well uh, in those things. So that's um, Moonshot Innovation. Excellent, man. And then your new book, we'll have you on when that comes back out as well. Uh, Ross, thanks a ton for joining me. I hope you guys have enjoyed the conversation. Remember to get into conversations with other people, not social distancing, physical distancing, talk, 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 and talk some more. Uh, and think about how, what is the blessing in this? What is the gift I've been given? And uh, I think that if you just start with those few things, uh, it'll help you get from now to next. So uh, thank you both. Uh, thank you, producer Mike as well. Thank you, Mike. Uh, and thank you, Ross. And uh, thank you everyone for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you next time on From Now to Next. Take care. Make sure you like and subscribe and check out the next episodes.